So welcome everybody to Journey the Church here on Wednesday nights. We're grateful that you're here tonight. Wasn't that wonderful girl power going on? Girl power starting with Jaden, lighting it up. Thought she was gonna do a mic drop. It takes a lot to come up here, especially if you're in high school to do that. Man, it's nerve wracking. You know, and then you have Alicia and Kenzie leading us in worship. What a wonderful, wonderful time tonight. Hey, make sure you are sitting at a table with some people, some other human beings, because we're going to be doing a lot of group work tonight, group talk. Um, If you're at a table and no one is around you, just barge in on someone else's party. But let's open up with a little bit of uh, group talk, some group discussion tonight where, not at your tables, but just like back and forth, a little discussion tonight. What do you think of when you hear the word power? Like, what's the first thing that crosses your mind when you hear the word power? Cat. I know you were yawning. That's why I called on you. You're already bored. Come on. Strength, all right, that's like another word for power, but uh, what's the first thing you think of when you hear the word power, Mary? Jesus, come on, really? God, Edison, all right. Electricity, what? Control? Yeah, Billy. Authority. Anything else? Wonder Woman. Force. All right. How about one more? We'll make it good. Right. Yeah, we already heard strength. That was a cat. That was the first one. Nothing else? That's it? Okay. Sounds good. All right. Well, what? The ocean. You must be reading my mind because when I hear the word power, I think automatically of the ocean, the sea, the deep, J- Davy Jones's locker. I think of getting pounded, held under with my board tombstoning. You know what that means, right? If you've been held under and your board is going like this, that's not good. And when the wave's breaking there, you don't want to be right there. You come up gasping for air like a teddy bear who's been sent through the ringer, tumble style, brain freeze and all. The ocean has a way of reminding us that we're really small. My grandma lives on the big island of Hawaii, and uh, I remember one day we drove to the southernmost point of the island, which happens to be the southernmost point in the United States, and you stand at this place, and you look across the ocean, and you realize there's nothing between me and Antarctica. That's crazy, right? No structures, no buildings, no land, nothing but ocean. The ocean has an incredible way of reminding us that we're small. Now, according to physicists, a breaking wave can apply a pressure between 600 or a tw- tw- let me say that again. That didn't come out right. 250 pounds between 250 pounds and 6,000 pounds per square foot depending on the height of the wave. So somewhere between the weight of a black bear per square foot on your body or a rhinoceros per square foot on your body. 
Now, there are many variables involved in the waves, salinity of the water, the height, the thickness and width of the falling lip, the winds involved in the equation, traveling speed, etc., and your body is going to experience some of this crashing weight. Not all of it, but you will definitely feel something. You will feel its power. My wife grew up going to lakes. I grew up going to the beach. And what's pretty amazing to see is when she goes into the surf, she's terrified. Absolutely. She's not here yet, so I can talk about this. She's absolutely terrified. One time I took her kayaking. It's the last time we'll ever probably go kayaking ever. Because I don't go to the harbor and go through a nice little kayaking experience. No, right in the waves. And we go out and I realized that she was growing up at lakes and had no idea that the waves are going to pull you, but then they're going to release you. But if you've never really experienced that before, you're going to freak out when you start feeling the waves pull you and you feel that power. That doesn't happen at lakes. But as it is with any power, true power lies within the hands of the one that holds it, in our case, the one who created it. As we've seen already in Psalm 89, God is the one who displays powerful faithfulness, powerful steadfast love, powerful promise, powerful commitment, powerful awe, and tonight we will see God's powerful power. So let's begin by catching up on Psalm 89, verses 1 through 8. If you're able to stand, I want to invite you to stand and let's read these words aloud together. So follow along and read out loud with me. Psalm 89, a psalm of Ethan the Ezraite. Here we go, verse one. I will sing of the Lord's unfailing love forever. Okay, you guys are mumbling it, and that's an exclamation mark right there. You know what that means, right? So let's do it again. Verse one. I will sing of the Lord's unfailing love forever. Young and old will hear of your faithfulness. Your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is as enduring as the heavens. The Lord said, I have made a covenant with David, my chosen servant. I have sworn this oath to him. I will establish your descendants as kings forever. They will sit on your throne from now until eternity. All heaven will praise your great wonders, Lord. Myriads of angels will praise you for your faithfulness. For who in all of heaven can compare with the Lord? What mightiest angel is anything like the Lord? The highest angelic, I'll wait for you guys to get there, there we go. The highest angelic powers stand in awe of God. He is far more awesome than all who surround his throne. O Lord God of heaven's armies, where is there anyone as mighty as you, O Lord? You are entirely faithful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love. And Lord, we thank you for your power. Lord, we sometimes don't know what to do when we see evil and when we see loss and pain and hardship. But we ask right now for your powerful peace and your powerful comfort 
to touch those who are affected. And Lord, we are all affected. But Lord, the first responders, the victims, the families, the people there, Lord, we lift them up and we ask for a supernatural outpouring of your comfort and of your peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. And thanks for reading along. We're going to start with verse 9 tonight. It says, you rule the oceans. You subdue their storm-tossed waves. Now, we saw this back in the New Testament or forward in the New Testament on the Sea of Galilee in Mark chapter 4. And I love how the message paraphrase describes this. It says this, a huge storm came up, waves poured into the boat, threatening to sink it. And Jesus was in the stern, head on a pillow, sleeping. They roused him, saying, teacher, is it nothing to you that we're going down? Awake now, he told the wind to pipe down and said to the sea, quiet, settle down. The wind ran out of breath. The sea became smooth as glass. Jesus reprimanded the disciples, why are you such cowards? Don't you have any faith at all? They were in absolute awe, staggered. Who is this anyway, they asked wind and sea at his beck and call. Let's do some table talk tonight. I want you to read Genesis chapter one, verses one and two together. Read it aloud and then discuss in your groups how might Psalm 89 verse nine illustrate Genesis one, one and two. There's some Bibles in the back if you need them. Pull it up on your phone, whatever you need to do. Ready, go. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the text begins like this. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void. The Hebrew is tohu vabohu, and darkness covered the face of the deep. In Hebrew, that word is tohom, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. So here in the initial creation in Genesis chapter 1, the state is described as formless, watery void. A formless void, tohu vabohu, was to the ancient writers considered to be something of a state of chaos, confusion, unreality, or emptiness. But just how chaotic was this formless and empty void? Well, there's darkness covering the face of the deep, darkness covering the face of the tohom. Now, tohom refers to the abyss, the sea, the deep, the primeval ocean of the ancient Near East. The origin of this word tohom is actually coming from the name of a goddess of the Babylonians named Tiamat. And she's this beauty on the left side of the screen, the one with the fangs and all. Her name was Tiamat. In, in the Babylonian creation story, her carcass is uh, ripped apart and it creates the entire universe. A beautiful story, right? But the Tahom, where we get uh, this word, the deep, from, is a watery place of chaos and destruction. 
Now, the Israelites were not a seafaring people. They weren't skilled shipbuilders like the Greeks or like the Vikings. To them, the deep, the tehom, was a major threat. It was something unpredictable to be greatly feared, and, and it certainly should be. We should have an awe, respect, and wonder today for the ocean. And that's one thing that you probably tell kids who are learning to surf for the first time is never turn your back on the ocean. Never turn your back on the ocean because you never know what might be coming. Now, I don't just mean like, dun it, dun it, dun it, dun it. I don't mean just that. I mean like waves, undertows, jellyfish, whatever it may be, a boat. I, one of my buddies was surfing and a, a glider plane crashed right by him. Crazy, right? Crazy stuff. So you never turn your back on the ocean. It's still something to be feared. But to make matters worse, the deep was not only a place of watery chaos and unpredictable fear, but to the Israelites, it was also what was in the deep that caused great fear, namely Leviathan and Rahab. Leviathan, as you can see pictured on the screen, was typically personified in Hebrew culture as a sea monster. We see this coming up a couple of places in the Old Testament. And so when there were raging storms or strong waves, the people believed that it was Leviathan wagging his tail, all hot and bothered, ready to destroy. Now Rahab would follow in similar pursuit as a water dragon of sorts, a darkness and chaos type of monster. So these are terrifying forces of chaos and evil and destruction. But don't worry. Don't worry about Rahab because Psalm 89.10 says in reference to God, you crushed the great sea monster. The Hebrew is Rahab, referring to Rahab, the sea monster, which could also also could refer to Egypt as well because Egypt gets mentioned as Rahab. And where was the big scene we saw Egypt crushed? The sea, right? The scene at the sea in Exodus with Moses. And so it makes sense that you could interpret it in that way. So you crushed the great sea monster. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. This Rahab is a terrifying force of chaos, evil, and destruction, but to God, Rahab is simply a bathtub toy. Back in Genesis 1 and 2, it says this, The earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind, the Hebrew is ruach, it could mean spirit, wind, or breath from God, it swept, rachaf over the face of the waters. This term, rachaf, is really important. It describes how a wind or spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. It's a verb that describes what a bird does over her nest. That's exactly what God is portrayed as doing here. God is imaged in Genesis as a presence hovering over the water, subduing the forces of chaos. This means that the greatest fear of the sea and everything in it, Leviathan, Rahab, great white sharks, etc., they are rendered completely useless when met by the presence and power of God. All the forces of chaos, fear, destruction are brought to nothing as God creates order, substance, and life. 
So we've talked about a lot of like weird things, monsters and the sea and all sorts of stuff that may seem rather unrelated or irrelevant to your life. But let's talk about where do you need God's power in your life and why? Ready, go. This group up front right here, they asked me um, to share as well, where, where do you, Jeremy, need God's power in your life and why? Easy answer. Where do I need it? Everywhere. Why? Because I'm weak. Amen? Anyone else weak? I know they talked about it last night at Restore about being powerless, right? And in that powerlessness, we realize just how strong God can be. By his power, God takes chaos and creates order. And I don't just mean like with the seas and with the winds, but with the circumstances in our lives. And sometimes we, we forget about thanking God. We pray in the middle of the storm, and then the storm passes, and then there's calm winds, and we don't even recognize maybe that God was the one who stilled the storm, whatever it may be. And I'm just speaking for myself, where I often forget about, oh, God, thanks for getting me through that. But God takes chaos and creates order. That takes great power. Waves and winds are still category five. Hurricanes are calm to a cool breeze. But God doesn't just have power. God has possession, which is power to the next degree. Between the 1870s and the 1900s, Africa faced European imperial aggression. Maybe you read about this in a history class one time. They faced diplomatic pressures, military invasions, and eventual conquest and colonization before World War I. To give you a picture of this, in 1870, only 10% of Africa was under European control. But by 1914, it had increased to almost 90% of the continent. The feeling in Europe was that for small countries like Portugal or Belgium, in order for them to flourish or survive or be enriched, they need to take possession of resources and land outside of their own. In Europe, there was this great demand for raw materials that were currently unavailable to them in Europe, such as copper and cotton, rubber, palm oil, cocoa, diamonds, tea, and tin, all these things that had become to them necessities. Well, in Africa, there were open markets, an abundance of cheap raw materials and limited competition. So this sparked what was called the scramble for Africa. France took the Ivory Coast, Belgium the Congo, Germany, Cameroon, Italy, Libya, Portugal, Mozambique, and the list goes on and on and on. This scramble for Africa, it proved to be absolutely devastating for the African nations. But this possession, it brought great power and reach to these small European countries, and they became empires almost overnight. Well, God doesn't just have power, he has possession, but his possession, it wasn't achieved by military might or economic dominance or birthright. It just, it just is. God's power through possession always was, always has been, and always will be. 
That's what it says in verses 11 and 12. The heavens are yours and the earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours. You created it all. Verse 12 says, you created north and south. Along with the whole entire concept of directionality and degrees of difference, north, south, east, west, God came up with that. Mount Tabor and Mount Hermon praise your name. Tabor and Hermon were two of the most prominent mountains in Palestine. And here they are personified as rejoicing in God's great power, singing duets to God. The lowly Mount Tabor, as you see here on the screen, at 1,900 feet, it stands as a place of great power and great victory. It was here that the judge, Deborah, back in Judges chapter 4, proved victorious over Sisera. And also in post-biblical times, so after the Bible was written and, and the canon was put together, this mountain became associated with Jesus' transfiguration. And the giant mountain, Mount Hermon, standing at 9,000 feet, where you can go skiing in Israel today. It stands as a place of physical majesty. Well, because it's 9,000 feet. Verse 13 says, Powerful is your arm, strong is your hand. Your right hand is lifted high in glorious strength. God's arm, hand, and right hand, they all symbolize his activities and victorious abilities. So let's do some more talk tonight. One more question. Very simple. Why do you worship God? All right, let's hear from some of you guys. Why, why do you worship God? I know this is like a basic question, but why? Yeah, James, what was that? He loves us. So we worship him because he loves us. He saved us. All right, what else? He asks us to... Yeah, thankful. To take a different posture before him? That's why you worship him? Like, what do you mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. It helps to maybe realign us and stuff like that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, what else over here? This side of the room, you got anything or no? No. Doesn't. Oh, he's worthy. I like that. Yeah, Jen. Because he's a perfect father. What else? He came to save us, yeah. Yeah. Self-sacrifice, because of the self-sacrifice, because of the, the pain, the agony, the shame, all of that that, that he endured. What else? A couple more. We were created to worship, so we are pre-programmed, and so 
to worship, to chase after God. It's in our DNA. It makes us feel alive. What else? We need him. Who said that? Oh, there we go. Jeff. Yeah, we need him, right? And worship reminds us of that, and that's an opportunity where we give thanks to God. How about this table right here? We got like two pastors at this table. They haven't said a word. And two pastors' wives. Oh, okay. Here it is. Oh, oh, oh. Hold the phone. Literally. Literally in hell. Okay. It's going to say, wow. You guys get that? You hear that all? Because I can't, I can't read. That was awesome. Yeah, Patrick. A little louder. Can you turn up the volume just a little bit louder? Uh huh. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. How about one more? One more, right here. Is this your answer or someone else's answer? Okay. Okay. He has the power to break chains through worship. He has the power to break chains through worship. I like it. I like it. Uh, these are all good answers. Good job, everybody. I mean, I think that we figure out like why we're worshiping God. It's not just because the songs. I, no one, no one mentioned because it, it feels or like the songs are great or anything like that. But it's because something happens in worship. Some realigning process happens where we realize who God is. Like you guys said that He's a God who is to be feared. He is a God who is perfect Father. We have a God who is above all, and yet this God is so intimately involved in the minute and intricate details of our lives. He's worthy to be praised. He rescued us. He saved us. And all of this collides in the act of worship. And that's rather incredible. I'm glad no one said, I just worship God because he is powerful. Because you don't worship power. When we worship power, we end up following people like Mussolini, or Hitler, or Mao, or people who are powerful celebrities. And uh, I had a professor in, in college one time who, uh, he would always sit in a chair, and he was super uh, animated at everything that he would do, but he was sitting in a chair, and, and he was discussing this, talking about how you don't worship power. He said, if God were only a God of power, I would not worship him. If he were just a God of power, he said, 
I would go to hell flipping God the bird if he was just a God of power. But thank God he's not just a God of power. He's a God of power and love. And that great love just intensifies the power, and the power intensifies the love that God has and the love that God continues to pour out and the, God, and the love that God is asking us to pour out. So let us take that power tonight, the power that maybe we don't think we have because we don't, because it's supernatural, it's power from God. Let's take that power and love this world because it needs it. Look for those opportunities in the conversations that we have with people when we don't understand what is going on. Maybe it's a a time to talk about God, to get real, to live our lives like they actually matter, not just a routine that we are stuck in. But let's keep our eyes open for these interruptions that God puts in our paths, for his power and his love to flow through us into the lives and conversations and people around us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you are a God of power, you are strong, that you are mighty, that you are worthy, and that you are good and full of love. I pray, Lord, that you would fill us tonight with your power, with your love to a greater degree, that we would realize that the ground we walk on, because we walk with you, because we carry you inside us by the power of the Holy Spirit, the ground that we walk on is holy ground. May our conversations be seasoned with that holiness, with that goodness, with that love, with that mercy and justice and truth. May we change this world through powerful love, one person at a time. To you be all glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.